Nobody understands what it means. It's provocative. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate, Ben and I, we're, we're automotive journalists, and uh, we're buddies. We're best friends, I think. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, in fact, I'd like Ben to take this time, tell people where they can find his work. Ben, the floor is yours. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at driving.ca, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, I want you to start off the podcast this week because you've got um, some, some much-needed and long-time, hands-on time with, uh, with a Nissan pickup truck that, I, that I've driven only briefly. <laughs> long-time, hands-on time sounds like something I could be charged for in a court of law. But not with a truck. I, oh, okay, wow, you, you went in that direction. Um, I, I looked right into it, I checked it up, can we be in trouble if we've got too much hands-on time with a truck? And the answer is no, probably not. I, I Probably not is good enough for this podcast. I actually did spend quite a bit of time with the Frontier, specifically the Frontier Pro 4X, which I think is the version that you drove on a kind of a limited off-road trail last month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I didn't go off-roading with it. I went on a road trip with it and did a bunch of truck stuff. I had to put my Jeep into storage. And I, I do that outside of the city because, let's let's be honest, Montreal is a place where SUVs love to get stolen. And it it's just too much of a tempting target to put it in kind of a one of those general storage areas where many people have access. So I... Uh, I have a friend who has a storage unit situation, and I take it well outside the city and put it to sleep for the winter. And in order to do that kind of thing, Sammy, you need to have two vehicles because it's so far away. So um, mm-hmm. we brought the Frontier along for the ride. Okay, and I'm really glad that you started that whole bit off with Let's Be Honest, because as our listeners know, uh, in previous previous podcasts, unless we say Let's Be Honest, nothing is honest. Complete right? fabrications, all Complete opinions fab- and facts. <laughs> So, All right. So you got some hands-on time, lots of time with this car, it, uh, this truck. It has been changed significantly this year with the yes. exception of the powertrain, which was seen last year. As actually seen two years ago. Right. As I discovered. <laughs> 2020, I think, Sammy, was when the was when the drivetrain first came out. Well, what year are we in now? We're in, we're in well, so this is a 2022 <laughs> model. Okay. So fine. in the 2020 model was the first time you could get this drivetrain. So 2020, 2021, and then the rest of the truck caught up <laughs> two years later. Which uh, is, I think, it, except for one part, which has still yet to be touched, which is the steering, which leaves the first impression that when you drive this vehicle, well, I think it, it's uh, honestly not. It, the steering isn't the only thing that is old school about the Frontier. The platform itself is still almost the same. It's still the same ladder frame. What they did, from my understanding, is the um, suspension pickup points, or not pickup points, but where the suspension connects to the to the vehicle, where the body connects to the frame, that kind of stuff was modernized. But the actual frame itself is pretty much the same. And you're mentioning searing. Um, the reason Sammy's brought that up is because it is super, super heavy in this vehicle. I have not driven a truck, car, anything. I own a vehicle with sticky racing tires and manual steering, like no power assist. And this vehicle is the second most 
uh, heavy steering effort I've driven in the last year. It is crazy, Sammy. And I think that part of it is the rubber that's on the top. It has to be the tires that are on the truck because it was pretty cold the week mm-hmm. that I had it. And so that makes tires, you know, it usually makes them less sticky. But it might have made the, – the tires themselves might have stiffened to the point where they just didn't want to turn. But whatever it is, I my father drove the truck briefly. He's a truck guy. He's a bunch of trucks. And the first thing he talked about was how difficult it was to steer the vehicle. And that was – he, he drove it honestly for like 10 minutes. So yeah. That was his takeaway from it. It's, it's, it's odd. I don't understand it. I don't understand how something like this makes it out of development with steering like this. It is – the worst part of the vehicle, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's just an I odd mean, oversight. Like I don't, it, I don't get it. I mean, it's bizarre because it leaves the first uh, to me. It leaves the first impression. It's the first thing you you want to talk about after driving the Frontier, despite the pretty fresh looking exterior and interior too, right? Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, from a driving impression yeah this is the first thing but i think the the real first impression is as you mentioned the revised styling for this truck it it does Mm -hmm. it it kind of abandons the the old frontier so the the reason this truck's redesign is so important is because the old frontier was around since 2005 model year like that's a really long time 16 years on the market with Mm -hmm. almost no changes i think there was a refresh kind of that did a little bit of visual stuff for the truck but mechanically it was pretty much identical that whole time um but It's gone from like kind of a slant nose look to a beefy upright grill and kind of chunky flared out sides. It it looks pretty good, I think. My truck was like a uh, kind of an army green, hunter green kind of color. And I I thought it was a nice package overall. The the Pro 4X is the top trim level for the truck. So it has all sorts of LED lighting and it's got like nifty little painted tow hooks and a skid plate and all that fun off-road stuff. So it's... It's a rugged-looking package, and inside, the truck has made a startling change, just in the sense that it's no longer an interior from 2005. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, that leaves you with so much more um, materials to to choose from. Yeah, because back in 2005, it was, like, just hard plastics everywhere. Like, the seats, everything's hard plastics. And now, we're a little more enlightened the the Pro 4X has leather. It has uh, like on the seats and on the you know center console and the door the door rests and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But more important, it's got like a modern infotainment system, nice looking gauges. It's got an easy to use climate control system. It's it, it looks like a modern vehicle. It doesn't look luxurious, but it looks decent. And I think that you know decent is like the line that the Frontier really needed to reach. Okay, yeah, that's right. We've made a decent truck, Nissan. <laughs> yeah, well, no, because there aren't really any luxurious small trucks. I mean, GMC's trying to make a has tried to make a Denali version of the Canyon happen, yeah. and it's it's not really great. I mean, it's it's okay, but you wouldn't pay a lot for it. Uh, and similar, like one thing that's nice I found about the Nissan is you compare it to the the Ranger, for example, which is a truck yeah. that was brought in from another market, and that in the past we've talked about how. The cabin of the Ranger just feels like they didn't put a lot of effort into it. They just brought it to North America and they're like, here you go. And this is, yeah, it feels four or five years old. So the the, the Nissan doesn't have that vibe. The Nissan feels much more modern than the Ranger, which is interesting considering they're relative contemporaries. So it's it's a good effort from Nissan overall. I think that's a really good point to bring up. I mean, the Ranger, they it almost it was almost as if they're like, oh, you want a small pickup truck? Here's a small pickup truck. Hope you like it. Bye. <laughs> and then Nissan was like, well, 
I, I mean, we don't really have much else to compete with. We met, we might as well try to do something that makes the vehicle, you know, interesting or stand out. And they did. I think it, the interior is much nicer than uh, I would have expected. It's a significant leap from where it used to be. Um, I guess that can be said about almost everything with this truck. Um, and well, and, and not I quite think, everything. We'll get we'll get to that. I mean, I think visually visually speaking, it it just I think it looks as good, if not better, than a Tacoma. Well, for sure, for sure, especially inside the Tacoma interior is is functional. Uh, I haven't driven a low buck version of the Frontier, and and when I say low buck, this is a truck that starts at I think just under thirty, and the mm. version I drove was oof, I want to say thirty seven, but I could be wrong. Is Might that have... because they've changed like the cab, like the availability? 000, sorry, thirty eight. Is that because they? I remember this vehicle being uh, this vehicle being fairly affordable a couple of years ago. Oh. Is that because they've changed the the body style or or the configurability of this vehicle? There's a couple of things. The you know there's a similarity that the Frontier does have with the Ranger, and that's it's a single engine vehicle. You used to be mm-hmm. able to get a four cylinder version of the Frontier. I can't remember the last time it was available. I want to say prior to that 2020 model, it was it was just out there. But now that the new engine, the V6, is in place, and we'll get to that in a second, you can only get the V6. Okay. So as far as I know, so that is probably going to drive prices up uh, across the board. Um, and I. I really struggled with this motor, Sammy. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean you struggled? What's wrong with it? Is there something wrong with it? 310 horsepower, 281, perfect. Pound, 281 pound-feet of torque. Compared to the old 4-liter that was in this truck, they're only a half-second apart, 0 to 60, which is fine because it's not meant to you no. know, be a race truck or anything, right? And it might be gearing, too. But fuel mileage is, yeah, it might be gearing, but fuel mileage is almost identical. <laughs> Wow. Like it's super, super is that a, close. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is well, the 2.5 really inefficient or the 3, the, whatever this is, 3.5? Let me, it's a, it's a 3.8, so it's a little bit 3.8, smaller. 3.8, sorry. Um, I, it has, the tow rating is about the same too. It's like 6,200 pounds and payload is like 1,600. That's like mid-pack for a mid, mid-sized mid truck. Mm-hmm. It's not really great. It's not terrible. It's fine. But like I got 17 miles per gallon combined. Which is not That's a, no good. Yeah, uh, I think that it's something like twenty or twenty-one on the highway. I don't. I don't know the exact highway number. Um, I'm trying to pull it up now. Like the the official EPA. So it's twenty-four highway, eighteen city. So I didn't approach that. It was pretty cold, and also mm-hmm. you know the it's four wheel drive version of the truck because it's the Pro Four X. It's maybe a little bit heavier, but it's it seems a long way to go to install a brand new motor. That has, you know, they claim best in class horsepower because I think that the GM versions of the trucks have uh, like 305 or 306 horsepower from their V6. Mm-hmm. But it also comes with a nine speed automatic transmission. And when I see nine speeds, I think, okay, there should be really decent fuel mileage. But yeah. not, not only did I not do super well on fuel mileage, I also had on the highway in when the vehicle was using cruise control and I was trying to keep it at like 70, 75 miles an hour, it downshifted a lot on hills. And it would Weird. be like an aggressive downshift too. Like not just not just uh kind of a, a, a casual kickdown. And my my partner, she was driving the truck on the highway as well, and she complained about how she really had to go for it when she wanted to pass or go up a hill. She wasn't using cruise control, but she found that the transmission and the engine just weren't super responsive. And that was kind of reflected my own experience with it. So the motor was fine, but it felt very average. And I'm surprised that it felt average because it's the newest part of the truck. Well, hold on. It's not that new, right? Like it's been on the old truck 
for a while. You'd think they'd have ironed out any of these issues before, but I guess that's what happens when you change. Like maybe the the weight the the weight difference between the two vehicles maybe resulted in that uh, in this weird motor being unable to keep up in certain situations or this transmission being like struggling. Just. It, it maybe it's something to do with the Pro 4X gearing as well. You know, yeah. I don't know. Um, the I think what Nissan so before Nissan was selling a decent number of Frontiers because they were cheap. I think they were selling mm-hmm. like seventy thousand a year or something like that. That's pretty good for a vehicle you haven't invested in for a decade and a half. Yeah, I think this replacement kind of flows from the same philosophy. Nissan was like, you know what, this truck's pretty good. It doesn't have to be the best truck. We're gonna keep selling them. We'll see if that holds true now that pricing is a little bit higher because you can't get that four cylinder anymore. Yeah. I would like to think that they're going to be able to take sales away from something like the Ranger. There, there are going to be people out there who want a V6. There are going to be people out there who maybe don't aren't enamored of the Ranger's interior or limited equipment. I mean, this truck had you know a decent amount of safety gear. It had adaptive cruise control, all that stuff. The, the rear seat in the truck is tight. It's a little bit high sitting. And I wasn't super happy with the fold-up to put cargo in. It's not as configurable as I would maybe have liked. But if you don't care about that, one of the nice things about this truck that you don't see very often anymore is you can get the smaller cab with like the that doesn't have a full-size rear door. Okay, yeah. And that's that's not something that you can get in every truck these days. So that, I would prefer a single cab. You can't get single cab mid-size trucks. This is kind of like the next best thing. All right. I mean, I think there's going to be a little bit of concern because of the new Maverick and the um, the, Sa- the Santa Cruz. I, you, um, know, you know this. I don't think so because it's a totally different buyer. I, yeah. If, if I, you drove one of those trucks and then drove this truck, it would be mm-hmm. such a different experience that you're you're going to go in one of those two directions. You're not going to be like, oh, I can't decide. Yes, that's what I that's what I mean to say is that the the market this segment. I, I don't know if there are seg- if it's a segment because. I'll just say, like, smaller trucks in general. Well, midsize um, versus compact, right? Compact is the new the new newness, and midsize is the old hotness. Right. And remember when midsize was starting to kind of, like, take off again? Ford was really reluctant because they said, you know, our, our F-150 can do everything that a, a midsize vehicle can do in terms of capability. And it's bigger. It's more comfortable. It has more more engine options. We don't need to bring a Ranger at this time. They eventually relented and brought the most bare minimum effort into that segment. But I feel like they're, they're, they might have been onto something with some of these co- compacts. I'm not sure if the, the Colorado, the Canyon, the Tacoma, and the Frontier differentiate themselves sometimes enough from, from some of the more basic um, uh, 1500s or well, F-150s. They're, they're lifestyle pickups, for sure. Exactly. You, you buy this truck because it fits in your driveway or your garage. You buy this truck because it's not as unwieldy as a full-size truck in, yeah. in urban traffic. It's not as crazy to park. I mean, that's kind of how you have to look at it. it you, you can't look at a mid-size truck based on capability alone. Sure, there's versions of these vehicles like the Colorado with the diesel engine that can tow 7,700 pounds. Most people aren't towing that. Most people are towing like 3,500 pounds max. You know, I mean, Maybe. or the or the can, the Colorado with the ZR2, which is just so wicked off road oriented, yeah. right? These are all like very specific reasons to buy these trucks. It's, I don't know how many people are buying them to do everything. Um, hmm. It's I don't know if their versatility is necessarily if, if the cargo bed is there because you're going to occasionally use it. You know, so that their sales are so much smaller. I think even the the best selling midsize truck I think is the. I 
I mean, I know it's the Tacoma, and I think the Tacoma does about a quarter million units a year, which is like 25% of what the F-150 does. Yeah. So but, it's it's even at its best, it's still a smaller market. But the reason, I, I mean, I think it's worth talking about, you know, you want a lifestyle vehicle, a thing that doesn't necessarily have to do all sorts of trucky stuff. And that, to me, is what the new Santa Cruz and Maverick are all about. Um they're targeting a completely different demographic. Yeah, and but I you think also that, can't go off-road in either of those trucks. That's right, yeah. So it, it is a different... There's, like, this lifestyle vehicle thing that's going on with the midsize trucks, and then there's, like, this... It's just a diff... It's an alternative to an SUV sort of thing that's going on with these smaller trucks. So yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see how this market pans out now um, and how v- kind of traditional um, offerings like the Frontier... Um, fair in the in the face of this new competition. So I I mean just kind of summing up the frontier, I was impressed with it in some ways. I was kind of left cold in other ways. I do think it's deserving of a drive. If you're looking at a midsize truck, you should check out the frontier. It's it's a cool alternative to the Tacoma. I think it's a pretty different experience than what you would get from GM, which felt mm-hmm. they they have a smoother driving experience. I like it more than the Ranger. It just feels like more effort was put into the overall package. Although the drivetrain is com- compared to the Rangers, I don't. Really, I think it's kind of a wash there. Uh, and it's definitely nice to see something like you know Nissan's truck efforts. Like the Titan is a truck that really leaves me cold, but I think the mm-hmm. Frontier has a place in the market, and, and that's good for the brand. I mean, I think it's fair to say. I think the Ranger is not extremely competitive. I think the Colorado is really good in those higher the, – the Colorado and Canyon are, are pretty good in those higher trim levels, be it with the diesel, the ZR2, or uh, a Denali version. Mm. I think those are pretty decent. Tacoma seem really utilitarian to me. Yes. Um, and then there's the Gladiator, which kind of plays oh. in this field. Yeah, I never even think of really a Gladiator. really can – like a different product altogether in some yeah, ways. Yeah, it, it feels bigger, longer, weirder. It's just an odd... <laughs> it's, like, expensive, too. It, it, like, who's... There are people out there who want, like, a cloth-top pickup with four doors. Like, it's just... <laughs> it's playing in its own sandbox, really. Exactly. So, I see, in many ways, the Frontier does a lot of things that it's these rivals don't do at a price point that is pretty affordable, too. So, I think it's interesting to see how they pulled this off. They might have, like secretly made a desirable truck that nobody knows about right like <laughs> it's interesting um I, i'd like to continue this conversation with a completely uh, different vehicle if that's okay well, um, yeah we'll allow it okay good i got my hands on the new bmw 2 series coupe and this is an important product i think you and i have both spoken in the past about uh the bmw 2 series coupe and how it kind of felt like the traditional bmw the one that we really felt carried the the pillars of of what BMW has built over the past I don't know 30 years or so uh, when it comes to sports sedans or sport coupes right yes um we I really like the old 2 series I think even the 1 series before that was pretty desirable um and especially in the in their M division guys they're really they're really impressive vehicles but I don't know about this new 2 Series. There's There are some things that will really disappoint the enthusiasts. And uh, there's very little justification for those changes. But the overall de- delivery of this product is is above is like above average. I'd give it like a B plus or or an A minus sort of thing. So let's go. Let me run down it for. Let me run down this for a, a quick moment. 
this vehicle is longer, wider, um, and lower than the last generation two series. Okay. Um, in Canada, it will only be uh, available as a six-cylinder all-wheel drive version of the vehicle, which weighs something like, I don't know, 3,800 pounds. Wow. Yeah, that is a problem, I think, right? Yeah, that is quite that's, – that's as heavy as my Cadillac, okay. which is a much larger vehicle, or I thought it was. <laughs> now, um, American, American listeners will get access to a four-cylinder version of the vehicle, which is rear-wheel drive, which weighs in at a much more trim 3,500 pounds. Very trim, right? Oh yeah, that's definitely that's like the Weight Watchers school of two series <laughs> development. Essentially, these vehicles have put on like three hundred pounds of weight, man. And uh, I'm not sure that's the intended like way of approaching a sport a, a compact rear wheel drive based coupe, right? I'm, I'm going to. I haven't driven the car, but based on everything you've said so far, I'm going to tender the theory that maybe this is no longer a sport coupe. And yeah. BMW has done what it has done with every other model in its lineup now and made the 2 Series yet another plush, luxury-oriented option. Okay. I think that's a, that's a bit fair to say. And then they, they throw you a little a few tidbits that will, uh, that will surprise you. So first, let me talk to you about the base model. It's called the 230. It features a four-cylinder turbocharged engine, makes a, a decent amount of horsepower, 255, a ton of torque at 295, um, it's surprisingly quick. It features an eight-speed automatic, and it does zero to six zero to sixty in like five and a half seconds. Pretty quick, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, the all-wheel drive version, this V6, uh, sorry, not V6, inline six, makes three hundred eighty-two horsepower, three hundred sixty-nine pound-feet of torque. We saw this motor before in the four four forty and the three forty and the um, what's it called, the Supra and the Z4. Um, it's very quick. It has an eight-speed automatic as well. You cannot get a manual anymore. It does zero to sixteen four point one seconds. And, and we know that that is, as we've mentioned before, an underrated engine. I'm also reading that eventually there will be a flip-flop, and you will be able to get a rear-wheel drive M240 and an all-wheel drive 230. Eventually, that's yeah. what they've said. They haven't given us any timing on that. I'm surprised. I'd be surprised, honestly. I don't know if this is a very high-volume vehicle that they can just like, uh, like tease us with these kind of like new versions that are coming out down the down the line it might be it it might be that you know these are the models they're going to sell the most like obviously yeah i mean from a cynical perspective the 230 is like the loss leader that gets people into affordable bmw leases right so they're not going to care too much whether it's rear wheel drive or not and then the the uh upgrade version you want to sell the most expensive car you can to make the most profit so of course you're going to sell the all-wheel drive m240i and then you'll bring in the other ones later for the enthusiasts who aren't going to buy them in small numbers. That would be my theory. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at this vehicle, it is it is bigger. Um, I think it's from the front end is uh, is pretty is is fairly attractive. I don't know if it's as attractive as the last generation one. The rear end looks a little funny. It has it has these tiny tail lights. Um, BMW tries to make us think about the old 2002 when you look at it by using circular um, elements in the headlights. I don't see it. I think they're pushing uh, their marketing a little bit for, a little bit too far there. Yeah, I don't see it either. But I am fortunate that it does not have those buck teeth horizontal grills that you find on uh, the 4 Series or the M3 and M4. Wow. I think that I'm glad that they, they've found some reserve there. Um, inside is where the car, I think, makes its biggest transition. It's uh, a little bit more premium. It has obviously more space. They've um, laid out the cabin in a much more logical way. Uh, format instead of you know clusters of button ne- buttons everywhere 
there are just a good function, good set of buttons by the gear stick. And um, it also doesn't, um, it doesn't feel like it has a pinched view outwards with like a, like a screen in a, in a rear view mirror kind of combating space in front of you, which I think is pretty good. Um, I think I was mentioning that um, performance wise, it has a few touches. This M240 model features a rear differential, which I believe wasn't in, wasn't the case in past um, you an M240s. M differential for the an M Sport differential. That's what they call it. And what does it do? Why am I excited about this? Um, it's a electronically controlled, fully variable locking differential, which is pretty pretty nice. However, I put this car on the track. This is not a track car, Ben. This is just not a track car. I really feel bad about this. It is not made for the track. Um, the brakes definitely don't stand up to that uh, to that task. Um, I guess that's what happens when you add like 300 extra pounds and all that extra power and performance. Um, but yeah, it, it rotates nicely and predictably. But you got to watch out for those brakes. I think that's the most important thing I have to say here. I'm I'm disturbed because I think I I was looking forward to driving a in a tight engaging vehicle. It still has excellent performance credentials. It goes very fast. It sounds pretty cool, although that might have to do with some uh, trick- digital trickery. Um, it, uh, it, it responds very nicely on the road, but on the track where you want a little bit more engagement, a little bit more faster response, and a little bit more reliability, that like confidence, I didn't feel it. And so I, you think that they're really just using this vehicle to set us up for the M2 and that now if you actually want to have fun in a BMW, you have to pay for the M model? I don't know. I'm really, I don't know what the strategy is here because even if it is an M2, this version of the car with the six cylinder and all wheel drive is is still 3,800 pounds. You cannot get over that, right? Now, if they add wicked brakes to it um, and excellent tires and they, maybe they make it rear wheel drive. Yeah. Okay. You're going to, you're going to overcome some of those limitations of additional weight with, with that kind of, those kinds of features, but it's also going to get super expensive, right? And I don't know. Like, I just don't know where the the two series is really lining up. Sure, it starts at like thirty six thousand bucks for the for the four cylinder model, but it's nearly fifty grand for the for the all wheel drive six cylinder. And I don't know if that's like, I don't know what what you're doing at that price point. Are you getting a sporty car? Are you getting a uh, you're not getting a grand tourer at that level because it's a bit too small for that. Um, you're not getting a track car for that level. It's it's not, you know, it's not reliable enough in that situation. It's a very mixed up vehicle right now, and I'm I'm worried about the two series. That's I mean, all I'm saying. You could even add like eight eight thousand dollars worth of M options to the base model. You know, like if you want to. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 you see really what I'm saying like I think you used to be able to get in one of these and immediately enjoy it. And if you really wanted to take it on the track, you'd enjoy it. There was a manual transmission that helped you really like live out your best moments, even on the road. Um, and uh, and the dimensions made it feel like it was it was fun. Like there was a there was a funness to a less seriousness to it. And of course, I think that has a lot to do with like flingability or momentum because it was a, it was a a much uh, less heavy vehicle. And then when you added the um, the M2 into the equation, which had a ton of power, wicked brakes, um, sounded great, looked cool. It was just like, to me, that was what like BMW's essence really was dialed into that uh, into that one car. And I feel like we're we're missing a little bit of that now in favor of more power, more more 
gadgets and um, and bigger vehicles. It, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, BMW is going to go where the profits are, and the profits clearly aren't in two door sports cars or sporty cars. You know, it's just not it's just not where the money is, and it's a lot easier to sell things like power and comfort than it is intangibles like uh, handling or driver engagement. Uh, did, is there anything else about the two series you you want to uh, mention? I mean, in general, I think it is a it is a better for, if you if you look beyond the enthusiast aspects of it, which is how does it perform and how is how responsive it is, is it? Do you feel the weight? Um, beyond all of that, you're getting a better vehicle. I mean, it is more spacious. It has a ton of features. It's much faster. It it is enjoyable on the road, but it's not an enthusiast car anymore. Like it just is nowhere near nowhere near that anymore. Um. I was wondering if we could now take a moment to talk about the new LA Auto Show. What do you think? This has just happened. Auto shows are coming back. People are attending them. Sure. Um, and we have a couple of cars that I, I think are worth talking about. I'm going to tell you about the one that I think I'm the most excited about, which is the new Porsche Cayman GT4 RS, which is a much more powerful version of the uh, and track-oriented version of the Cayman GT4. Um, it managed a a really wicked lap time like of near seven minutes on the Nürburgring, which was apparently very important. Um, and it puts out a good chunk of, of horsepower. Yeah. I guess it basically does what they said they were never going to do, which is put like an, is it a nine eleven derived engine inside the Cayman, which is a better handling car than the nine eleven? Yeah, essentially like uh, it is a, I, this is what I like the most about the vehicle is that for years, the 911 and the GT4 and the Cayman were like separate, right? Like nobody, they couldn't encroach on each other's territory. And now it seems like with this level of performance and track readiness, the Cayman is there. It's like uh, maybe even more engaging and more enjoyable than um, and more focused than a 911 can be, right? Yeah, and it's yeah, the other. The only thing is though, when you're talking about engagement and focus, you can't get a manual transmission with this car. That's right, um, and it is less powerful by like 10 horsepower than a gt3 but you is, know, that, is that okay yeah but it, i'm sure it weighs less and it's definitely better balanced right so like that all that all it's washes exciting out. but it's expensive 140 141 000 but sammy there are a lot of other cars that were yeah. uh that, that were became available or were, were launched at the la auto show that are maybe a little stranger <laughs> yeah and uh well, worthy of discussion why don't we talk about the um, the new all-electric Toyota and all-electric Subaru, um, which are identical in many ways. In many ways. Um, it seems like the Toyobaru mashup is going beyond um, sports cars and now going into electric vehicles. These two vehicles share a platform, batteries, and I think power plants. The and Subaru they- version will be will be all-wheel drive, while the front wheel the uh, Toyota ger- version will feature front wheel drive or an all-wheel drive option. What we do need to mention is that both of these vehicles have the worst names you could come up with for a new car. The Toyota one is called the Solterra. Sorry, is it this? No, the, the the Subaru one is called the Solterra, which sounds yep. like a restaurant that I'm not going to go to. And the uh, Toyota one is called the, what is it? The BR4X. Oh, BZ4X. BZ4X, which to me sounds like a K-pop band that will be a flash in the pan in and out of the business before you know it. Sammy, what does BZ4S stand for? 
I'm not 100% sure. If I had to guess, they're going to they've now announced a BZ division beyond zero, oh which is what they're all I, what all of their I think EV <laughs> EVs will be named or something I mean, like that. Beyond EV. Zero for us is another good K-pop band name. No question. I mean, even Busy for us like has that showbiz kind of feel. But this is this is a terrible name. It's it's just word salad. It's not even word salad. It's, it's letters, it's consonant salad. Like there's no vowels. It's it's horrible. Not to mention it's a lowercase b and an uppercase z. Uh, and I guess the four x's has to do with how many doors it has. And x can be all wheel drive. I don't know. Um, I, you know what? You should you never be able to this, mix up though. the Hold name on. of your car with your license plate. Like that's just. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you need to know that it can go 250 miles per charge. With a front-wheel drive model. But it can't um, escape its name. It cannot escape its name. Neither can the Soltara or Soltara. Oh, which is, uh, they point out to us uh, the name derived from the Latin words for the sun and earth. <laughs> which is real good. Thanks, <laughs> Subaru. You know, like they, the... Uh... I, do you think the guy who named the Tiguan for a mashup of Tiger Iguana is, is like, working at Subaru now? I think if you flipped Solterra to Terrasol, it sounds like a GM concept from the early 2000s. Like a really <laughs> big truck that looks like it was from a Robocop movie. I, it, the, <clears throat> the other killer aspect of these two vehicles is that the Subaru version looks nothing like a Subaru. Like, it looks yeah. exactly like what you would expect a Toyota to look like. And I don't see how that helps Subaru, really. Like, I understand that they don't want to spend the money on developing their own EV infrastructure or, or sorry, EV drivetrains, whatever. But you're not building your brand by pretending to be another brand. Like, it's it's not it's not going to have the effect, I think, that Subaru wants to. Unless this is a compliance car, they're just trying to prepare for future markets where they have to have an EV option. In which case, I can understand the the strategy. And have you looked at these vehicles? They both feature this like black cladding on the around the front fender, around the front wheel wells that like extends into the light signature, the lighting elements of the vehicle, which is really weird. Um, I'm gonna not- say big missed opportunity for electric car companies. Not a single one, including the one that has the word Tesla in its name, has taken advantage of the fact of having like a cool Tesla coil hood ornament or like some type ah. of coil inside the car that when you turn it on goes and like shows you electricity and really gets you psyched about the fact that you're driving a super powerful electric car. Just none of that. It's like, oh, we'll focus on how quiet it is and how environmental it is. No, I want to focus on the sheer power of the electrons that I'm harnessing with my right foot. All right, but what about if your new Toyota or Subaru doesn't feature a glove box? Wouldn't that be interesting? I I don't care. I don't. When's the last time you wore a pair of gloves, OJ? I don't put. First of all, I put all sorts of things in my glove box. I put a lot of important documents in there. I don't want to hear about what you had stuffed in your glove box, man. Well, what they're going to use instead are some. Um, let me get this right: leg warmers and feet warmers. Leg warmers in that and area? feet warmers. Wait, so gloves and boots? <laughs> Is that? <laughs> Are they? Does it come with gloves and boots that you like? It's like a space pod, and you put your feet into them and your legs into them, and, and, and arms, and then you can't move. And then the soldier right. is like, "Just your passenger, though, not now, you. You're now fine. you are my prisoner." Uh, and then the Tesla <laughs> coil comes out, and you keep your defenseless. And then, furthermore, um, Toyota is talking about this new feature it's got called X mode. <laughs> now, if you if you've listened, in, if you've ever heard of a Subaru recently, they all come with X mode. It's just an all-wheel drive sort of uh, traction control system. Does but it have Toyota a is... Beyond Zero mode? 
No, no, the Subaru <sighs> probably has that. Does it beyond? I imagine like beyond zero mode is like when you run out of battery, like when you're at zero percent, and then <laughs> it launches you out of the car. Yeah, and like, it's an ejection seat. It's like it ejects you towards a charger. Like and it has a GPS <laughs> coordinate of the nearest charger, and it calculates how much thrust it's going to take you to make there, but also how much thrust is too much before you die on impact. Like, it's, yeah. not, it's not a soulless creature. I it's mean, it's, I mean it is all, soulless because right? it's a robot, but it, it's, it's not without pity for the human all condition. Right. Uh, and then there's another car that I wanted to talk about, which is, um, I, I, I don't know, my eyes kind of popped out of my head when I saw the, the name of this vehicle. It is called the Fisker Ocean. And um, I didn't even... I, I thought Fisker didn't make cars anymore. As far it's as hard remember, to know what Fisker does. <laughs> okay. Um, so they made a new car called the Ocean. And uh, I, apparently that's where they went um, to get some of the materials used for their cabin. Um, it features a, uh, I'm reading for the press release here, a beautifully crafted vegan interior with eth- ethically sourced upcycled materials throughout it. Now let me tell you what do you know. Do you know how you know are- an interior is vegan, Sammy? You eat it? No, you it, don't. Te- it tells you within the first five minutes of meeting it. Oh, right, of course. Now, the cabin features high-grade upholstery, carpets and interior details made from recycled pl- plastic bottles, repurposed rubber waste, worn-out T-shirts, <laughs> and abandoned fishing nets pulled from the ocean. Okay. Somehow, in the press release where they say high-grade upholstery, they've used garbage. I don't like the word rubber waste. Like... <laughs> That's not that's not a pleasant word. If you saw that word in a brochure, you would close the brochure and leave the showroom. Um, yeah. Also, abandoned by who? These nets. How do they know they're abandoned? And follow-up question, are any of those nets haunted? Because the ocean is a harsh place, man. Yeah, there's no, there's no escaping the realities of the ocean, right? I'm also, like, it- like, I'm also curious, like, are these, are these nets dolphin safe? Is the ocean a dolphin safe vehicle? It has to be, right? Like, if they're getting all this garbage from the ocean and putting it into their car, that has to be safe. No, but but here's the thing. The kind of person who would build a car out of ocean garbage probably wouldn't care too much about killing a few dolphins along the way. you got to break a few dolphin eggs to make a dolphin omelet inside your (laughs) vegan interior. I think that's the point I'm trying to make to the the Fisker shareholders who were a little squeamish about my plans. (laughs) That's right. Now, let me tell you the other feature that this car has that I think you'll find very attractive. Um, In the middle of the dash is a huge 17.1 infotainment system. um, And you can... 17.1? Really? Inches? Inches, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't say inches. No, but still it's big. It's huge. But the best part about it, you press a button and it rotates horizontally into, into... It rotates and becomes Hollywood mode. Wait, Hollywood mode? Yeah, that's what they say. Hollywood mode. Is it a is it a mode that stabs you in the back and asks you if you want to be a star? <laughs> is that what it does? No, it re- it writes you out of a scene. That's what happens. <laughs> is it a mode that guarantees? Is it a mode that promises you you're gonna you're gonna get the the role that you've been dreaming of, but then you just spend the next five years, you know, working as a valet or waiting tables, and then finally the Fisker Ocean's like, yeah, sorry, we're repossessing the car, and and you just you know your dreams go with it. Yeah, essentially, I think that's that's about right. Um, this car is promising to be a pretty affordable um, EV. It starts at uh, thirty-seven thousand dollars. 
It has 275 horsepower, 250 miles of range, but then you can get like a $50,000 version one or a $70,000 version of them, which does has the, does the a stubby... ton of horsepower and more and like 100 more miles of range. Which one doesn't smell like the ocean? <laughs> I I think considering the car itself is called the Fisker or- Ocean, I think the smell is part of the appeal. If you roll up the window and put your ear on the glass, do you hear the sea? Do you hear the waves? Yeah, I think you should. Is there an ocean mode? I don't know, man. I haven't driven it yet, and no one's mentioned it to me yet. There should be, right? Yeah, if I drive it into the water. <laughs> the ocean. All of the materials get reclaimed by the ocean. Yeah, well, and also you have to, you know, stand trial for your dolphin crimes in dolphin court, which is horrendous. It's tough. They're they're serious over there in dolphin court. They, are, they have big brains, and they are not afraid to laugh at our human morality. you got to get a real shark of a lawyer, I tell you what. Wow. Um... That's those are the highlights for me at the auto show. I didn't really look at anything else. I just my I I heard about this Fisker and I was like, I can't believe Fisker's still making cars. Um, and then these Subarus, which the Subaru and this Toyota, which I did a double take and then couldn't understand what they're called. And then I just saw this Porsche, which I thought was really cool. So that's my thoughts on the on the LA Auto Show. If the listener, if you've heard or seen anything at the LA Auto Show that you want us to talk about, just let us know. It's it's not too hard. You come on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, uh, and there's a contact form there. You fill that out, lands in our inbox, super easy. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, H-A. Um, and you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And, what else uh, do we tell people about, Ben? Well, if you go to the website, you can also subscribe to the podcast. And oh, unnamed yeah. Automotivepodcast.com has all of our past episodes listed there, plus a whole bunch of buttons that let you subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Or you can just go to whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts and find us. We're everywhere, like Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, all that fun stuff. We're, we're not on the metaverse yet. We're not on the metaverse yet, and that's probably going to be a hard no for this foreseeable future. <laughs> but also, please, if you do listen to us and you like what you hear, just leave a little rating or make a little comment on your podcatcher. That is a big help to us. It gets us in front of a wider audience. You can also um, tip us a little bit if you want, if you like what you hear, at ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. It is Kofi Coffee, Kofi, Kofi. And uh, yeah. You're right there, buddy. I'm good. I had a bit of a stroke, but I'm back on track. Just a dollar or two, and uh, we appreciate it. Sammy, yeah, it goes a long way. It does. And Sammy, what are you going to be driving next week? Um, I've got a, a new 2022 Nissan Rogue to talk about. They've changed the motor in that, um, which is something that it had, they should have done a long time ago. And then I've got the new Rolls-Royce Ghost Black Badge. Oh, wow. Well, I can't compete with that, but I can take us into the wilderness with this Subaru Outback. I love that we're still calling it the wilderness. It's <laughs> on brand for us. This is my favorite part of our podcast. I hope everyone calls it the wilderness. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take care.